0: do appreciate uh, everyone's presence this evening. Glad that you're here. We do have some visiting with us tonight and uh, we're especially grateful for your presence. If you keep up with these things, if you keep up with the calendar much, you might know that this is a fifth Sunday. Today is the 29th, it's the fifth Sunday of the month. And usually we would have a guest speaker speak for us on the fifth Sunday of uh, the month on on Sunday evening service uh, and we had somebody lined up, but at the last minute he wasn't able to come and uh, so i'm going I'm going to fill in for him and uh, sorry about that, I apologize, but couldn't it couldn't be helped. but I hope uh, we'll uh, get something out of it anyway. When I was a, a boy, I had a bicycle that I rode all around the neighborhood, and uh, from time to time you'd get a flat tire on your bike. It had an inner, an inner tube on the inside of the tire. You could take that inner tube out and you could patch the hole. You could put a patch on it, put that inner tube back in the tire and you're, you're good to go. Well if the inner tube was flat you, you couldn't find the hole. But if you put some air in it, if you filled it up with air and you submerged it in water, then you could see where the water is coming up out of the inner tube. It's bubbling and you could find the hole and you you could patch it. The hole wasn't revealed until it was under pressure. Put pressure on that inner tube by putting air inside. You put pressure on the inner tube and that reveals where the flaw is. That reveals where the hole is. You know, that's, that's like us, isn't it? Sometimes when we get under pressure, sometimes when we're under stress, We have some flaws in our character that we're usually able to deal with pretty effectively. Other people don't see them, they're not not obvious. We have some flaws that when we get under stress and under pressure now those character flaws come out and they become obvious. It's the stress that reveals those flaws in our character. We've been looking at some characters involved in the story of the crucifixion of Christ. Of course, Jesus is the main character, and our focus is for the most part on Him, but there are other important characters in the study as well. And sometimes we can see ourselves in those figures. When they're under stress, when they're under pressure, the flaws in their character are exposed, and sometimes we have those same flaws in our character, and if we, if we can see that, if we can find out where those flaws are, then we can repair them, then, then we can fix them. Now, you don't have to think very long about the crucifixion of Jesus and the events leading up to the crucifixion. Don't have to think very long until our thoughts go to this man, who, who is this? <laughs> that's, that's Peter, or at least an artist's uh, suggestion of what uh, Peter might have looked like. How do, you know, how do you know it's Peter? He's got keys. He's got the keys in his hand. Remember Jesus tells Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And so usually in, in art like this, uh, paintings of biblical characters, or, or icons, Peter will be represented as the one with the keys. He's usually an older man as well. Usually, ha- not always, but usually I think He has gray hair as well. And so he may be uh, considered one of the older uh, uh, among the the disciples. But we're going to talk about Peter's role in the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter and the crucifixion of Christ. As you know, Peter has a lot of admirable qualities. He's uh, a good leader, sort of seems to be a natural sort of leader, has those leadership qualities, and uh, he has a strong faith nobody would doubt his strength of faith. He has a lot of courage as well. In the book of Acts, it's it's Peter who says, and he's under threat, he's under pressure, but on that occasion he says, we can't help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. Uh, They're being being, uh, threatened and told not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Peter just says, look, we've we've got to preach what we've seen and heard. And it's Peter that says in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men. And so Peter has strong faith. There's no real question about that. And Peter has a lot of courage. He's a a leader, but he also has some weaknesses. He's like us in that way, or we might say we're like him in that way. And those weaknesses are exposed in the events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And it may be that we're... More like Peter than some of the others that we've talked about or that we will talk about. We talked about Judas and his character flaw. What what uh, what led him to sin? Perhaps his greed was involved in that. So he betrayed Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. We talked about Pilate and his inability to do what he knows is right. He knows Jesus is innocent. He knows the right thing to do is release him, but he just he just can't bring himself to do that. He just doesn't have the strength of character to do what he knows is right. And now we're going to look at Peter and then we'll we'll look at some others as well in the coming coming weeks. I'll spend a little bit of time talking about some background information about Peter. You know, we don't know very much about the background of Pilate or Judas or some of these others, but we know quite a bit about the background of, of Peter. He's from Bethsaida. We know that. His name is Simon Bar-Jonah, or John in John's Gospel, he's the son of John, which is just another form of the, the name. So Simon Bar, the, the, the word Bar means the son of, Simon the son of Jonah, or the son of John. Again, he's from Bethsaida, a small town on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. We find that in John 1, verse 44. I'm going to turn to all these passages, we'll just refer to them. Philip is also from that town. and so yeah, Peter from the town, just I think it's called a village in fact, kind of a maybe a fishing village on the northern shore of Galilee. And Philip is from that town as well. We know Jesus spent some time there and he did some miracles there as well. Uh, one of the stronger uh, condemnations uh, from Jesus is upon the town of Bethsaida and some other cities where he did miracles and You know, he says, uh, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen the miracles that I did in in your city, they would have repented long ago. And so so Jesus spent some time there, did miracles there, and yet criticized them pretty harshly. By the time Peter encounters Jesus, Peter is living in Capernaum, which is not very far away, a larger city, again, on the northern shore of, of the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 tells us that. Peter has a home there. Mark chapter 1 and verse 29. Verses 21 and 29 associate Peter with Capernaum. In fact, if you go to the Capernaum, you can go to the traditional site of the home of, of Peter. We know Peter is married. Now, we don't know his wife's name, but a couple of times in the New Testament. It alludes to Peter's wife. And so Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. We see that in Mark chapter 1. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, Don't I have a right to lead about a wife who believes as as Peter does? And and so Peter has a wife. He's married. He also has a brother named Andrew. He's a fisherman. And so he's from Bethsaida. He's moved to Capernaum. He's... uh, the son of John or or Jonah, Uh, he has a brother named Andrew, he's married. And so we know quite a bit about about Peter, we usually call him Peter, but originally his name was was Simon. Now his partners, it seems to be in a fishing business, and so uh, Andrew is his partner, his brother is his partner, but James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are also described as their partners. And so they fish together and perhaps they're even in business together as fishermen. Peter becomes a disciple of Jesus. In John chapter 1 we read about, I think, the first encounter between Jesus and Peter. And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't meet Peter directly. The first disciple is is Andrew. Andrew spends some time with Peter and he goes and he gets his brother Simon, Simon Peter, and and he's the one who brings Simon to Jesus. Jesus uh, meets Peter, verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. I I, I, I usually call him Peter, although his uh, name is Simon, and Cephas is an Aramaic word. Aramaic was the language that was most commonly spoken in Palestine at the time that Jesus lived there. So you're, you'll be called Cephas, which translated means is Peter, and those words mean rock, Petros, uh, a rock. And so he becomes a disciple. This, this would be in the first year of Jesus' ministry. The first year of Jesus' ministry, first several months, are uh, related to us in the Gospel of John, but they're, they're not related to us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so John has some information about the early ministry of Jesus that we don't find in the other Gospels. And uh, 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 the case of uh, Peter becoming a disciple is in, is in that section. Several months later, we find Jesus inviting Peter to become a disciple, to become a, a follower. And so that's Luke chapter 5. You remember Luke chapter 5. Uh, these, these men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. And Jesus sees them in the morning, and He says, you know, let out your nets. Well, we've been fishing all night, but we haven't caught anything, but at your word, we'll, we'll do that, uh, were the words of Peter. And so he does, and they, they catch this great catch of fish. And Peter bows down before the Lord, falls down at Jesus' feet, verse 8 tells us, and says, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And Jesus tells him on that occasion, Do not fear, from now on you'll be fishers of men. <laughs> so Jesus uses that fishing analogy, makes a comparison. You've been, you've been busy, you know, it. Putting the invitation out to the fish, so to speak, and drawing them in. Now, now you're going to go out and send the invitation out to men and bring them in to, to the kingdom. Notice the response of, of Peter. He considers Jesus' actions, what he does. Jesus, obviously, is the one who provided this great catch of fish. And so he considers the actions of Jesus. He acknowledges his sin. I'm a sinful man. He accepts the call of Christ to come and follow him and he leaves the world behind he mark especially tells us that he left the boat and the nets and followed jesus and so he considers the actions of jesus he understands the authority and the the true identity of of jesus as the christ he acknowledges his own sinfulness he receives the call the invitation he accepts it and leaves the world behind he becomes a disciple. The next bit of information we'll mention about Peter is that not only does he become a disciple, he becomes one of the twelve apostles. And so Jesus selects Peter to be one of the apostles. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 says, It's at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and so forth. Now there there are several lists of apostles in the New Testament, and Peter is always mentioned first, always the first one. In fact, in Mark's account, uh, he, he's that, that idea is uh, brought out specifically, uh, Peter the the first one. In fact, he's part of the inner circle of the apostles, and so and so he's a. Uh, He's a person who encounters Jesus, he becomes a disciple, he becomes an apostle, and he's even one of the three on that, in that inner circle even of the apostles. There are three occasions in the New Testament where Jesus separates Peter and James and John to go with him a little bit deeper into the situation. and They see things the other, even the other apostles don't see. Jesus raises, raises Jairus, Jairus' daughter from the dead, Mark 5, verse 37. They see him at the transfiguration, Mark chapter 9, and verse 2, and they go with him deeper into the garden of Gethsemane than the other apostles did. Throughout the Gospels, Peter is a leader among the disciples. He's the one who speaks out. He's asking questions, asking for clarification. What does this mean? Jesus spends time with him explaining things. And, and he's making claims about himself and the others. We, we've left everything to follow you. That's what, that's what Peter said when Jesus said it. You know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's the rich young ruler. He's not willing to leave his riches behind us. Peter that speaks up and makes that claim. We, we've left everything. On another occasion when some of the disciples turn back and don't follow Jesus anymore, Jesus asks the apostles, would you leave as well? It's Peter that says... Where are we gonna go? (laughs) You have the words of eternal life, Mark chapter six. And so, Peter is is outspoken, he's a leader, he wants to know, he asks questions, and all of those those kinds of things. I wanna look at, for just a couple of minutes, some events in the life of Peter that kind of reveal his character. These, we're gonna look at Matthew's account of these. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he wants to spend some time alone in prayer, and so he tells his apostles to, to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to remain behind and spend time in prayer. And during during the night, it's dark; it's, it's late into the night, the fourth watch. And so during uh, during the night, Jesus leaves the place where he was, and he's going over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and. The apostles are still out there struggling in the boat to to make progress toward the other side. Jesus is walking on the water. He's getting to the other side by walking on the water. And the apostles see Him, and they think it's a ghost. You can see that in verse 26. And they cry out in fear, and Jesus speaks to them immediately saying, Take courage, it's high, don't, don't be afraid. And Peter says, Lord... If it's you, command, you, command me to, to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind became frightened, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When he got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. And so Jesus said, No, don't, don't be afraid. It's me. Oh it's, Jesus. oh, it's Jesus. Hey, let me get out and walk. You know? That's what uh, Peter's response to that was. And then he does for a while. And then he sees the wind, the effect of the wind, and he begins to sink. Look at Matthew chapter 17, just a couple of pages over. Matthew chapter 17. Jesus takes Peter, and James, and John up into the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus is transfigured before them. You remember that occasion, and the light is just emanating from him through his, his clothing. Uh, the, uh, the apostles are asleep, and when, when they wake up, Jesus, uh, Peter says in verse 4, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one from Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so Peter just, just blurts it out, doesn't he? Hey, this is great. <laughs> I spelled, I take it to mean, three shrines, three tabernacles, three, three shrines. One One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And the implication is, you are on the same level as Moses and Elijah, and the voice said, no, 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 Peter, this is my son. <laughs> you listen to him. Not Moses, not Elijah. He has greater authority than even those two. And so Peter is, is he, he's corrected, isn't he? He's rebuked a little in that, on that episode. Look at Matthew chapter 26. And this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus has been praying on this occasion, of course. And when the time comes, the soldiers come to the garden and, and Jesus stops, stops praying and he gives himself over to those who have come to take him. But in 50, verse 51, it says, Behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now in other accounts, we find that that's Peter. We find that the name of the high priest is Malchus it's interesting that he cuts off, I think it's Luke that tells us, his right ear. So there's quite a bit of detail that give this the, the ring of truth. But, but Peter's ready to fight, isn't he? And so when these men come to arrest Jesus, he pulls out his sword and, you know, he takes a, takes a swing at the servant of the high priest. He even cuts his ear off. Jesus puts it back. But uh, Peter was ready to, to fight. Well, well what does that tell us about Peter? There's some, maybe some other instances in Peter's life that we could put into that, into that category. Uh, maybe even the confession of Jesus. Who do men say that I am? I know who you are. You're the Christ. That might fit into this category. And when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, Peter, don't wash my feet. Well, Peter, you know, if I don't wash your feet, you really can't participate with me in my, in my work. Well, then wash my whole body. Well, what's Peter's kind of character? flaw. What, what, what is it? If ambition is Macbeth's character flaw, if listening to the wrong people is Othello's character flaw. What, what's, what's Peter's? He's impulsive isn't he? He's impulsive. Now sometimes that impulsiveness works out to his good. But, but most of the time being impulsive doesn't work out very well. And so when Peter doesn't understand He's in a situation he doesn't understand. Sometimes he just does something. Oh, it's good to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, you know. <laughs> here's a situation that's, maybe he really doesn't quite understand what's going on. And he just, he just says something. And here's Jesus being seized. And so he just, well, he just does something. He just gets out a sword and takes a whack at the guy. And so P- Peter's a little impulsive. He doesn't think very much about what he's going to say or what he's going to do until he has to deal with the consequences. Again, sometimes that turns out good, but not always. A lot of times it turns out uh, it has some bad consequences. All right, so we've looked at that. We've talked about and suggested that he's impulsive. Peter makes some mistakes here in, as he, in the events leading up to the crucifixion. He makes some mistakes that get him him in trouble. Uh, In the upper room, Jesus tells the apostles that all of them are going to forsake him. Let's look at Luke's account of this. Luke chapter 22, we're going to begin in verse 31. And and Jesus talks to Peter specifically. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail you, and when... Once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And so Jesus has told all the the group, you're all going to forsake me. He has some words that he specifically addresses to Peter. Look at Mark's account of this in Mark chapter 14 and verse 31. Well, back up a little bit. Verse 27 begins the account. Jesus says to them, You'll all fall away because it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Everybody else might, but not me. Okay. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you, you, you yourself will deny me three times. Now look look at verse 31. But Peter kept saying insistently, New American Standard Bible, he kept on saying, no, this is just not going to (laughs) happen. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. They're all all saying the same thing. And so Jesus warns them, you're all going to forsake me. No, not, not me. Surely not me. I'll never, I'm ready to go to prison and even to death. And back in Luke chapter 22, we see how this all plays out. Begin reading in verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. And Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him, too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I I don't know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You're one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Surely this man also is with him, for he is a Galilean too. And Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he told him, Before a rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The other gospel accounts tell us that uh, he cursed and he swore. I do not know the man. And so just as Jesus said, Peter denies him three times. Now Luke arranges the story, uh, puts it all together. But did you notice this happens over a course of time. And And so he's following at a distance. He's among the accusers. Somebody says, you're one of, of, no, I'm not one of them. And then, and then a little while passes. And then another one says, you're, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. And then about an hour passes. And so this takes place over a period of time. And then when Peter realizes what he's done after his denials, he's just completely overwhelmed. He goes out and weeps bitterly. Peter put himself in a bad position by making some bad decisions. First of all, he didn't recognize his own weakness. He thinks he's strong, and he will not. Maybe he thinks he cannot because of his strength forsake Christ. He's confident and sure of himself. He knows who Jesus is. He knows who he is. He's ready to go to prison and even to die for him. And because he's so confident in his own strength, he's unprepared for the trial and the challenge when it comes. That's one of the mistakes that he makes. He puts himself in the company of Jesus' accusers. He's following Jesus from a distance. He sat down in the midst of them. Now that's not talking about the disciples, that's talking about the accusers of Jesus. And so he's by himself, separated from those of like precious faith. He doesn't have the support of the other disciples. They, They all have fled, they've just scattered apparently. He's alone in the face of the challenge. And so here he is. No doubt he's a little confused at what's going on. Maybe he's a little fearful for his own safety. And when the pressure is put on, he just says the first thing that comes to his mind, oh, I'm not one of his disciples. No, not, not me. And so you can see the mistakes that he makes and the terrible error that those things lead to. Well. Let's think about these three things here and apply them to ourselves. We need to recognize our own weaknesses and our own spiritual danger, the spiritual dangers that we face. Peter doesn't really understand that. He doesn't seem to appreciate the the source of the danger. Remember in Luke chapter 22, Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked. (laughs) That's a pretty powerful source of spiritual danger, isn't it? And Peter just doesn't seem to pick up on that, does he? Now Satan has asked that he might sift you as wheat. And of course that that's what happens. Um, now, later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, maybe Peter's learned his lessons because in 1 Peter chapter 5, it's Peter that says, the devil is a roaring lion, you know, seeking whom he might devour. Now, maybe he's learned his lesson about the power of Satan and the danger that Satan poses. And we need to recognize our danger. We need to recognize our own vulnerability to temptation, whatever that might be. If, if, we're not, if we're not aware of our own vulnerabilities, our own weaknesses, the result will be well spiritual disaster. Have you ever had your, your hopes up for coming Saturday in football season or, or Sunday, and the big game is coming up and you watch the game and the team that you're pulling for, they, they, they just get run over. It's not that they're inferior in talent. They're just unprepared. They, maybe they didn't take their opponent seriously. A lot of times a lesser team will beat A superior team, because the superior team hasn't taken the situation seriously and doesn't understand the real possibility that they could be beat. Happens every year, doesn't it? It's kind of what happens with with Peter as well. Well, I'll I'll never forsake you. I kind of think about this when we sing that song, you know, I'll never forsake my Lord. But uh, anyway, no, I understand what the song is trying to say, I think. I don't intend ever to forsake my Lord. But you know, if that's the way we think, I'm too strong. This will never happen to me. Now, now all the rest might, but but surely not me. We're setting ourselves up for disaster. We've got to recognize our weakness. We have to recognize specific weaknesses, and even our weakness in general, and always be on guard for the temptations of Satan. He's out to get us. He's powerful. He's a roaring lion. He knows exactly where those weaknesses are and he knows just the right time to attack. And so we've got to always be careful. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, there the writer refers to the sin that doth so easily beset us. Lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. There might be particular sins that we are especially vulnerable to, we easily succumb to those temptations. Well, if we're not always on guard, when we're unprepared, when we're un- and this is unexpected, we're not, not expecting it, well, the temptation comes and, and we fall for it. And I would just suggest this. As long as we're in the flesh, we are susceptible to temptation and sin. As long as we're in the flesh, we have all the receptors for temptation. Maybe one way to say it: there's temptation out there. We've got all the receptors. I mean, this is coming our way. And if we're not on guard, as long as we're in the flesh, well, then we're we're always susceptible. Remember uh, Ephesians chapter two and verse two: We were formerly you know, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is working in the sons of disobedience, among them. We too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath. And so as long as we're in the flesh, we are susceptible to the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Every day, there are people out there, maybe some of us in here, but there are people out every day, there are people out there who are doing things they never would have predicted. If you would tell them at this point in time, do you see yourself doing this? Oh, oh, no, I, I would never do that. But they get caught up in a series of events. And before you know it, they're doing the very thing they, they never dreamed of. They take this step, and then at least the next step in the series, and the next... That's what happened to Peter, isn't it? He got caught up in a series of events, one after another, and he ends up denying the Lord, doing the very thing he said he would never do. And we need to recognize the possibility we might fall into that. And if we can, at the beginning of that series of events, just say, no, I'm not even going to go down that road, we'll stand a lot better chance of resisting, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, saying no to those things in the very beginning. That'll help us. Peter separated himself from those of like faith, You know, we're especially vulnerable when we are alone, when we're not in the company of other disciples. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, evil companions corrupt good morals. You can also see in the very first psalm how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. So we, we don't want to make our constant closest companions the transgressors, and the scoffers. Proverbs chapter 1 says, "Uh, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. And he goes on, he says in verse 15, Do not walk in the way with them and keep your feet from their path. You know, so you don't, you want to be careful who your companions are. Now Peter finds himself alone. He's in the company of accusers. They're putting the pressure on him. You're one of his disciples. You were with him. He's a little bit in fear, no doubt. A little confused, perhaps. And so he just says, no, no, not me. I, I'm not one of his disciples. It's an interesting statement that you might hear it again in a sermon one day in the book of Titus. Right at the end of that letter, Titus Uh, chapter 3 and verse 14, Peter says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. Our people. Who are our people? (laughs) Who is that? Who are our people? Who are your people? How would you answer that question? My people, if I were to ask, who are your your people? How would you respond? If someone were to ask me, I'd probably, first response is my family, you know, my people Come from Walker County, you know my my grandparents on the Hutto side and so forth. But you'll beyond that. Who who are your people? How how we answer that question reveals a lot about our character. What do we say? Well, other Christians are my people. Or what do we say? Well, you know the team I play for. Those, now those are my people. Or you know my crew. You know whatever that is. Those are my people. Again, the the answer reveals something about our character. And if my people are not Christians, then I may be in trouble. I may be in trouble spiritually. So who, who are your people? There are examples of men who spent time by themselves and it turned out good. Joseph would be one of those. Daniel another. Paul spent time alone in the city of Athens alone. And... He went about preaching the gospel. Then there are other occasions where people find themselves by themselves. And it doesn't turn out so well. David is in Jerusalem by himself. When the army is out fighting, he sees Bathsheba bathing. And Peter on this occasion finds himself alone, not with the other disciples. He's in the company of the accusers and he succumbs to the pressure. Be careful when you find yourself alone the only Christian in the midst of non-Christians, you may be in danger. Be careful who your companions are. And then finally, be careful of the impulse just to act, to do something. Sometimes I just want to do something right now, you know, even if it's the wrong thing. Sometimes we have that impulse to act, to say something or to act in some way. But if we don't have adequate information, And we don't think about the consequences of our actions or our words. Well, we'll get into trouble. I read where 40 to 80 percent of things bought are the result of impulse buying. Now that's a pretty wide range. Is it 40 to 80? I don't know how you know how much that really says. But everybody knows, and all the marketers know, that impulse buying is you know a big contributor to what people spend in the store. So what do they do? Well, they take advantage of that. They, they put the displays, you know, here are these things we want you to buy. They're right in the front as you walk in the store. Here are big, big, lots of signage, and here are things on sale. And they do all of those things to entice you to buy. How many, how many times you walk, about, walk by the, the lady with the free samples, and she offers you, you say, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll take some. That's pretty good. Where, where, where is that? Our impulses get us into trouble sometimes. They lead us to do things that later we regret. We've all bought something. We took home and after a day or two thought, you know, that was, I don't know why I did that. That's was a waste of money. We've got to control our impulsive. Impulsive actions are the result of powerful emotions, anger, sometimes joy. You know, we're, we're so excited, we just kind of lose control of what we say and, and what we do. We become afraid, and so we act impulsively. Under stress, under discouragement, sometimes we do things that later we we regret. We just don't think about the consequences of them. We're not fully informed, and so sometimes we act quickly and rashly and make, make serious mistakes. Again, Peter's alone, maybe confused, under stress, a little fearful. When the pressure is put on, he denies the Lord should have been more deliberate about his actions, shouldn't he? should have said, wait a wait, 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 minute, let me think about this. Before I say anything, let, let me think about it. Let me extricate myself from this situation and put some distance between me and, and those people over there. Let me kind of sort all this out before I say something or do something I'm going to later be sorry for. That's, that's really ought to be our approach. We're in a situation, the pressure is being put on. Before we say something, before we act. Now let me, let me think about this a little bit. Let me make sure i got all the information I need. Let me think about what the consequences are going to be. Let me kind of remove myself from this stressful situation and think it through before I I react. Save ourselves a lot of trouble by doing that. In other words, practice a little self-control. Peter says that he disciplined his body to bring it under under subjection. In other words, he practiced self-control. Lest after he preached to others, he be rejected as well. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, here's the same man we've been talking about, says, add to these things to your faith, moral excellence, add mor- to your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. Maybe if Peter had, had uh, practiced a little self-control that night, he wouldn't find himself weeping bitterly. A little bit later. You just got to think about our actions and think about what we say. Being impulsive is not usually our friend. <laughs> you know. well, we got to take some time to think things through. Well our time is out. But you know that's not where the story of Peter ends. There's another important episode in the story of Peter. If you go to the end of the book of John, John chapter 21, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's with the 12 apostles on this occasion. They're spending some time together. And Peter has some questions, especially for Peter. Remember that? Verse 15, Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than thee? Now I can't help but think about Peter's boast. Now, these others may deny you, but I never will. Peter, I want to ask you a question. Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, The third time. Is that just coincidence? (laughs) That Jesus asked Peter if he loves him three times, just like Peter denied the Lord three times. Now that's not brought out explicitly in the text, but I have to admit that's where my mind goes. And Peter's grieved about that. He's disturbed over that. And, And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Got some work for you to do. Go out and get to work. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. what do we find Peter doing in Acts chapter 2? He's teaching the gospel, he becomes a great leader, great teacher, great evangelist, great leader in the early church. He, he committed a grievous error and yet the Lord restores him and puts him to work. You know if only perfect people <laughs> could be effective in, in the kingdom, in preaching the word and and bringing people into the Kingdom, that was only perfect people with no mistakes in their past, we'd be all all in trouble, wouldn't we? And so Peter makes an error, grievous error. And yet the Lord is able to work with him and restore him and put him to work, go to work, I've got work for you to do. And he goes about and does it. And of course becomes one of the really foremost leaders in the spread of the gospel of the early church. You see yourself in Peter. Here's a man who has some faith. He's a deep faith. He has strong faith. Uh, He's a man who's got some courage. But he gets under pressure. He gets under stress. He's a little maybe confused. Uh, He's all alone. And he ends up doing something, saying something he he shouldn't have. You ever ever find yourself in that situation? (laughs) What do you need to do? Just admit it. Acknowledge it. Yeah, you know, I messed up. I did something wrong. And then accept the forgiveness of the Lord, and there's work to do. Get on and get busy doing the work of the kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for today, the Lord's Day. We're thankful for the time that's been set aside to worship you. We pray that the things done today have been pleasing to you. We're thankful for the opportunity to spend time together and to encourage one another through song, through prayer, through looking into Your Word and drawing from it important lessons that that we need to be faithful disciples of Christ. Father, we're thankful that in Your Word even the heroes are described, even with their faults, even with their flaws. We can see ourselves in them. And men like Peter and others who overcome these flaws and serious errors in their behavior. We see them overcoming those things and doing great things in your kingdom. That provides an example for us as well. When, when we fall, when we do things wrong, to acknowledge it, confess it, receive your forgiveness, accept that, and then move forward doing the work of the kingdom. And so, Father, we're thankful for what we find in Your Word and the inspiration that it gives us. We pray, Father, that we will be busy about doing Your work as best we can in our place. And we pray, Father, that as we sow the seed, as we water that seed, that You'll provide the increase. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not a Christian tonight,